0: Welcome back to the second episode of First Time Outdoors. Uh, today we've got a friend in the studio, Ben Elbers, uh, and we're going to talk about sort of the tactical, um, on the ground, what it takes to do an elk hunt out west. Um, in a week from today, Ben and I will be driving out to Idaho uh, with another buddy of ours, Justin, and his father in law, and we're going to be doing um, an elk hunt for. How many days is it going to be, actually? Like seven? Six. Six days? Yep. Um, yeah, so that's going to be my first time out west on any sort of hunt, and it's definitely an elk hunt. Um, so we kind of wanted to give you guys a zero to 60 approach to you know getting off the couch into the woods somewhere out west. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're going to, we're going to start. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for being Thanks. here,
1: Ben. Um, so since the two of you are going... Um, And I've never been out, to, out west uh, hunting. I have a lot of questions for you about how you decided to do this in the first place. And then how you uh, checked all those little boxes off to get you prepared to go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of these boxes, I probably have no idea. I mean, there's probably a lot of things that you've done that I wouldn't even imagine doing. So I'll just play the role of interviewer. And I'll ask you some questions that I have, because uh, I'm I'm planning on being out there on the next one. So, mm-hmm. and I I want to make sure that I'm prepared. So the first question that I have for you is, what state are you going to? And are you going to be using rifles or uh, bow and arrow? And then depending on which. Um, weapon you choose how did that determine where you were gonna go
2: so I'll I'll step in here Um, Justin and I and another friend of ours went in 2015 and we went to Idaho archery and the initial reason we went there was for accessibility we could just buy over-the-counter tags and really I mean being our first time, we had zero expectations of what we were gonna run into. So we went to Idaho for accessibility, and then picked a unit based on how many people were there. Um, a and, unit of public land is that? Uh, they 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 have a the whole state broken up into management units. So okay. there's I think, I can't remember how many there is exactly, but we basically picked the unit that had the least population of hunters and the state was meeting its objective for their elk population. Where did
1: you find that information?
2: All that was found on the Idaho Game and Fish website. Okay. Just kind of surfing through there and finding a different, um, different stats and other things for there. So when you're buying a
1: tag, um, you're paying non-resident prices correct yep. what's yep. the what's the price of um a tag so are you buying i guess a second question or part of that question would be are you buying a cow tag or a bull tag bull elk tag and what's the difference in cost that if any
2: that also played into our initial decision because that unit and for archery is any elk so you could get cow uh bull or calf and our goal basically was to have the highest likelihood of getting anything uh mainly going for meat and seeing what happens so you pay for one tag
1: correct and you can shoot yep any the tag covers it
0: and uh the adult hunting license is 154 dollars uh as of 2019 here and that includes a three-day fishing license Hmm. and then um you also have to get a tag and for the adult elk tag it's 416 dollars so you're in for about um you know that's what about 560 bucks and then i think there's maybe another conservation fee or two there i think it's closer to about 600 Mm bucks um all in um for
2: you also needed a um an archery permit archery permit yep that's it so that's another i think 30 bucks or something could look it up um
0: Right around the six hundred dollar mark to get to get going, and then you're legal and have a lot of options. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of, yeah, you can, any age, sex, doesn't matter during that time period in this unit particularly. A lot of other units, they're more controlled. You can only get bulls only, right? Um, yep. They kind of manage it in different different ways. So, um, yeah.
1: So the, um, all this information can be found on the Idaho Fishing Game. Can you give me the exact website for that? I see you've got it.
0: Yep, it's them. got uh, idfg.idaho.gov. And then they've got licenses, um, tags. They've got fishing information, hunting, licenses, wildlife, all sorts of things. They've, and they've also got a really helpful resource that we didn't utilize a whole lot in our planning this time around. it, But I think you guys did previously. It was the Hunt Planner. Mm -hmm. Um, they've got, you know, wildfire, wildfire data. They've got, uh, harvest data, all sort of zeroed in on certain areas. So you can go there and kind of play around and get a sense of where elk might be. Um, and give them a call too. That's something we did this year. Uh, I talked to one of the, um, you know, one of the representatives in the office and she was kind of helpful in determining like, you know, they've seen elk in this area and, um, what to look out for, kind of some of the pressures that get put on elk, like wolves and other hunters and whatnot. Um, so that's a great resource, too, to just give somebody a call at the office.
1: So does everybody in your hunting party have a tag?
2: Yes, everyone has a tag. It's not similar to other states and species where you can party hunt. So we just kind of decided to pony up all each individual person to get their own tag in case we all had an opportunity, which is unlikely, but we all at least want to have the opportunity to, mm-hmm. to get one.
0: You know, taking a week off of work and going out <laughs> west on that—all the expense to get out there, which wouldn't be much if you didn't get the tag. But like, let's say that I didn't get a tag. You know, walking around in the woods without a bow or anything like that would just change the the, the trip for me and my purpose. I think everybody felt that same way. Like, yeah. You know, we want to have an opportunity and we'll see if that happens, but you can't do it without a tag in your pocket. It's kind of the price to play. So
1: Sure. Does anybody have a secondary tag?
2: Anybody buy like a muley tag or
0: just
2: no. in case you stumble upon a... No, it was discussed, but it felt like it would divide our resources and time and energy too sure. much. It mean, the likelihood of stumbling against something like a mule deer or a whitetail could be pretty high, but if we try to go for them then it's just like another kind of roadblock to the ultimate goal of elk so no we have nothing
0: i even feel that way about our fishing tags like we got yeah. a three-day fishing license and it's like we're in an area that has you know a major river and then a bunch of creeks so there'll be trout in there and it's like yeah let's do that i that's my biggest passion like i, I love to f- and yours too ben like you yeah. love to fly fish so it's yeah. like yeah let's bring those along then, but at the same time, you kind of go, well, you know, is there ever going to be an inkling of, I'm really tired on the fourth day and it's evening, let's just go fish, you know. Mm-hmm. As of right now, I don't think that that's going to play a role at all, but like...
2: Yeah, I think... One of
0: those things of like dividing the resources and like the, exactly. the
2: time. Exactly. <clears throat> the same thing happened in the last time we were out there and it was basically on the way to another spot where just able to fish for a few hours and it worked out but i was the only one that was really into fishing and the other two were just like yeah sure let's go for a little bit mm-hmm. so it was a good kind of uh, i guess way to get back in get w- get back into the actual goal of elk hunting yeah Mhm. so y'all driving out there i assume yes yeah the kind of we'll have four people And there's a little debate on taking two vehicles, but we're taking one truck, heading out there. Just try to keep
0: it, you know, we've got sort of a fixed expense in terms of the licensing and whatnot. So I think, you know, on one hand, trying to keep it a little cheaper, I'll just pile into a vehicle and get there in, what, 16 hours or so. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of divide the resources between driving you can get out there and I mean I've done a couple of those sorts of trips you know 12 plus hours and if you can divide the driving a bit it's really cool how many places you can see um in that amount of time you know that's a that's a day half a day to a day I think anybody in the United States if you were to drive around a 10 hour 10 to 15 hour radius of where you live you can get to most places like that's pretty cool. I mean, it's a lot. It's an it's an investment. It's a commitment to get to. But mm-hmm. I look at it as just like, oh, you know, tomorrow morning, do you want to wake up in the mountains? It's totally doable mm-hmm. for a little bit of gas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something like it's easy to overlook, and you think you have to travel to all these different places and get on airplanes and whatnot. It's like you got a minivan, a couple buddies, you could drive. 20 hours between the two of you and get there and it might only cost you a couple hundred bucks
2: round trip so i mean speaking of money the last time we were there i i don't want to i don't know for sure but i believe it was right around 700 for the three of us to go out there and that was a week of camping drive the driving out there and so all of our food and everything else was paid for for 700 bucks i mean it's not it's a lot of money, but it's not breaking the bank, like spending it on a guide or an outfitter where you're spending thousands. So it's doable. Doable, yep. So what are you doing for lodging? Camping. Okay, it's, so uh, that cuts costs down yep, quite a bit too. Most, about like 90% of that area, that unit is public land. So you can pretty much, it's all national forest along with some BLM land. So you can pretty much camp wherever and on that all that regulations and rules is also on idaho fishing game or the national forest website if you just type in national forest you'll find all that information as well
0: yeah and to my knowledge throughout the national forest system nationally that's that's kind of the rule you can you don't necessarily need permits i mean obviously if you're going to Look into a trip like this, like check the local regulations and like double check this. But like my understanding is that you can camp for free in the national forest systems. Um, So name your states out there, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, um, Idaho, Nevada, all that stuff. There's a lot of public land out there that you can just go camp on, which really, again, limits the cost. Mm -hmm. So limits the comfort. If you're not, you know, you got to, you got to, Invest in that, and, and that's going to be kind of how your your trip's going to be you're going to be roughing it a little bit to some people. If you're new to it, it might be considered roughing it. But you know, if the experience, if you want to put the experience in getting to wild, these crazy places, that's kind of part of the part of the deal.
1: Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is that if somebody is trying this, they want to go out to Idaho and do what you are doing. If they have the camping gear already, it's probably a lot more uh, financially feasible to just camp. But if you're getting into hunting and you're also not a camp, somebody that has camping gear, looking into a motel or something might be your option, right? Because we've already talked about we're at six, seven hundred bucks a person. And then if you've got to now factor in, I've got to, you know, either borrow somebody's tent or buy one and I got to get a good sleeping pad or a cot mm-hmm. and um, that could really add up quickly. Um, but if somebody is wanting to make an investment in that as well, what sort of gear are you bringing with to camp specifically?
0: Well, uh, just to quickly address the cost thing, I think that's like, uh, that's one of the reasons in some part that we like, not the reason, but one of the advantages of having a group when there's, four of us going there are certain things we can share not everybody needs everything if we can utilize it as a group so that's a benefit you know if i were to be going out solo it would be a different ball game i'd, I'd need the vehicle to transport tape or transport myself and let's say i get an elk to handle that um the equipment just kind of go down the line it really adds up but if you have a couple buddies you want to go with it, it spreads it out mm-hmm. a little bit. You got so one person
1: nice. bringing a tent. You yeah, got one exactly. person have, that's got the vehicle. You got one person that's got all the cooking utensils. Yep. You yep. Split it up like that. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Um, but yeah so, more- yeah, so what's the what are you bringing? What's the what's the essentials for the for
2: the for the camp? Um, for us, we're we're tenting, kind of what we said before. Um, so we'll have two tents. Everyone will have their own sleeping gear, whether that just be a sleeping pad or a cot and then a sleeping bag and then kind of the normal stuff you have for any sort of camping trip or hunting trip, you'll have your clothes. Um, And then after that, just kind of some non-essentials, I guess, like a hatchet, saw, that type of stuff. Lights. Lights.
0: Yep. And I think just to touch on the clothes, I think... My perspective, we're kind of finalizing camping tomorrow, or packing tomorrow, but I'm approaching it as as though I'll have my hunting gear, my camouflage, um, as my most every single day wear throughout the day, and then I'll have a dry set of camp clothes, you know, a couple pairs of underwear, a couple pairs of socks, but really the same shirt, same pants, kind of keep it minimal, because I won't be sweating in that, I won't be getting it dirty and stinky, and if I'm wet when I return to camp, I'll take off my wet clothes, put my camp clothes on, and we'll hit the we'll hit the sack. You know, we'll go to bed. And then in the morning, I'll put my hunt clothes back on. So it's kind of like limited in that way, I think, is my approach. I think you're thinking similar lines yeah, to that. Yeah, exactly.
1: And then food while you're out there, freeze-dried meals, or yeah, for for to us- bring some fancy steaks and stuff like that. What's your... <laughs> What's no, your menu look no. like?
2: We 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 did kind of do that the first time, Justin and I and, and Dave and it turned out to be we got so tired by the end of the day that we didn't want to cook. Mm. So we had we had planned like uh pulled pork one night, spaghetti and meatballs one night and we had this big plan and we got to the end where it was like let's have a cliff bar and call it a night. Yeah. So this this round we're the plan is to do for... Um, for dinners, we'll all do freeze-dried meals. For lunches, we'll do... Kind of just like... Jerky and salami sandwiches. Uh, just kind of stuff you can pack along with you. Mm-hmm. And breakfast is just going to be like... Breakfast bars and instant coffee.
0: And you're looking at things that... Don't need to be refrigerated or put in a cooler. So you don't have that... All that ice and all that weight. Yeah. And even though we're going to be basically hunting... From the truck... Um, we want to stay reasonably flexible and keep the weight down in a lot of ways, too. Like, it's going to be, we're not going to be hunting from the road near a city necessarily, but we're also not backpacking. So, kind of a happy medium there where you're trying to conserve some things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And if you got one vehicle and four people, you don't have a whole lot of room to bring every, you know, convenience. Every yeah. convenience. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So, mm-hmm. Um. what about hunting gear specific you know we're all three of us are whitetail hunters was there anything that you needed to get that uh, was more purposeful for specifically elk
2: hunting yeah definitely I think biggest thing especially since we're going in the rut is calls mm. and then figuring out how to use those calls So a lot of just basic research and Google, YouTube, other podcasts, and just kind of getting an idea of what calls to use, how to use them, and learning how to use them is something totally different. I mean, I grew up whitetail hunting, doing all sorts of other little odds and ends hunting as well. I'd hardly called for whitetails, so this avenue of calling your big game is totally new to me, mm-hmm. and something that I find appealing in elk hunting. So that's kind of one piece of gear. Um, Another one that I don't find myself using in whitetail hunting is a wind checker. It's just a little bottle of baby powder or any sort of chalk that you can, or anything that you can really check the wind often. I think most whitetail hunters think about the wind when they go out to their stand and it's kind of like a daily thing. I guess kind of generally speaking that's what I'm aware of Mm -hmm. but this is like a constant because when you're in the mountains the wind doesn't pay it plays a role but it's mostly thermals Mm -hmm. so you get totally different thermals throughout the day in which way it's going up the mountain or down the mountain
0: and that has to do with sun exposure on the mountains yeah warming and cooling the you know warming the air at different points yep either brings the air up the mountain or down Mm-hmm. So even though, you know, typically wind moves west, northwest, southwest, whatever, um, that could be coming from the east, straight out of the east or down the mountain, and you wouldn't even know it. You wouldn't even be thinking about that. So yeah super crucial. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, just a couple resources for people to check out that really helped me. I really had no idea uh, about the, the calling side of things, um, and Ben referenced, you know, just general YouTube uh, was a big tool. I found uh, Elk One Hundred and One Corey Jacobson. He's got a good series on YouTube that was like super helpful for me. He's a like I think he's a nine-time world champion elk bugler and caller, and he does you know a number of videos, is how to elk call, how to use a diaphragm call, and how to make different noises and kind of what elk mean when they're doing different noises. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's got a lifetime of experience. I think you only get good at those things with experience and hearing actual elk. But certainly, I feel more like light years more prepared going out there with the somewhat understanding that he, he provided, if I rather than if I didn't. You know, if mm-hmm. I was called there blind and know that elk bugled, I wouldn't really know. You know, so definitely check that sort of stuff out.
1: I also remember you saying something about broadheads that you can't shoot fixed or I'm sorry you can't shoot expandable mechanical broadheads out there. Yeah. So that's something to prepare for too is making sure you're tuning your bow to shoot fixed broadheads. Yep. And shooting a lot.
0: Yep, so uh, um last year I used uh Rage Tripan expandables for my white tail and I really liked it and they were flying really nicely and I was planning on using that until maybe 2 months ago and then I realized it reading the regulations that they don't allow expandables. So definitely had to get some, some new broadheads. Uh, they also don't allow any electronics of any sort so I like to use lighted knocks in Minnesota and they don't I don't believe those are legal and my sight pins are actually they have a function that you can press a button and it'll illuminate those sight pins um, so I have to remove that mechanism completely from, which I just did uh, today actually, remove that mechanism from the sight pins. So just make sure, you know, when you go out to any different state, you got to read the regs um, and make sure that you don't take anything for granted from, you know, if you're somebody from the east or even a different state in the west, you know, things vary. So definitely be aware of that.
1: So how have you been preparing otherwise physically and shooting and all those sorts of things. How are you preparing?
2: Um, a few things, I think, mostly is to get kind of two two portions, your legs in shape and then kind of some sort of cardio. Um, I Jake and I have been, there's a small hill for Minnesota um, here that we've been hiking up during lunch with the pack on and weights and other Odds and ends you can fit in it just to make the pack heavier. So we've been doing that and then also just running up the hill, up and down hills to kind of get your cardio and then shooting as much as you possibly can, mostly at longer distances. Um, that I mean, being what, what's longer distance? Well, I, for, for Minnesota, for myself, I'd pretty much, it's like 40, 40 yards is kind of like a max and I've, just practice to that. And now I'm getting into 60 and then I only have six pins. So my last pin is 60 yards, but I have shot beyond that. Not that I would take a shot in an elk that far, but it's just kind of practicing at further distances because more can go wrong. It's a lot harder to hit something at 70 yards than it is 20. Mm -hmm. So practicing further distances will give you more comfort at, if you do happen to get an elk at five yards, which you see videos of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
0: I I would say like, yeah, I've, my max that I've, I've got four pins. Uh, so I've been getting out to just 50. I've tried to do some things at 60. Um, but I found just for my own experience and obviously try your own things out when you, when you go to the range, but I found shooting those long distances really early in the, in the session. Is helpful, you know, you don't want to shoot 20 arrows at 20 yards and then back up to 50. I found that I shot you know poorly at that. Yeah, <laughs> at that, you know, you start to get fatigued, you start mm-hmm. to move more around, and your form breaks down. So, you know, just get a sense, put a couple, you know, practice long early on, and then move up to something more comfortable or what you want to get more reps in at. But yeah, definitely kind of moving around. I think because we're going to be spot and stalk hunting we're going to be hiking around and the distances aren't going to be set we don't we're not going to be sitting in a tree stand over a path that we kind of know it's a 15 yard shot uh it could it could happen anywhere so moving around to the range is really helpful too
1: and are you doing any changes in elevation when you're shooting shooting uphill because that's a real possibility shooting
2: on level ground shooting downhill Um, all sorts of things most of the stuff we've been shooting at is public ranges, city ranges, so it's all flat land. Um, we listened to a podcast by Remy Warren uh, a couple weeks ago. He put out and it explained in pretty good detail of if you're shooting up or downhill and how that affects your arrow, and something that you should definitely think about because a 20 yard shot downhill may look like 50. So, hmm. because of the gravity and yeah, your air drop, yeah. yeah. So, having a a rangefinder that gives that calculates that in is I don't want to say crucial, but definitely something to have. And most of the modern rangefinders have that. So, having that ability and knowing how far to shoot is it, it is crucial.
0: I'll, I'll give a crack at explaining the. physics of it right but like if you picture a triangle and you're at the top point of that triangle um it's a right triangle yeah the right triangle the horizontal distance is the only thing that matters not the hypotenuse not the hypotenuse so yes if you have an older rangefinder that doesn't calculate the difference your rangefinder might range the animal at yeah 50 yards in this case but the horizontal distance is only 20. Um, Mm -hmm. When you fire a bullet perfectly level isn't there that the experiment if if everything's equal perfectly level if you fire a bullet and drop a coin or something to the ground they hit the ground at the same time Mm -hmm. so that's why the horizontal distance is the only thing that matters um, because of gravity's pull so just kind of something i would never think about i never i've shot quite a bit before learning sort of that information um so yeah
2: i'd say if you're just kind of training in general and getting ready for the trip i'd say first and foremost from a midwestern perspective is getting in shape and trying to get cardio and your legs Mm -hmm. ready for taking a eight mile two mile hike in the mountains and
1: there's yeah and there's elevation change i mean you're dealing with some different percentages of oxygen there, you know, versus us in Minnesota that are virtually at sea level.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's probably first and foremost. Yep. And I mean, if, if you're going out there for hunting, you should probably already, I shouldn't say probably, you probably already know archery and, or rifle or whatever you're doing and going out there for, you have some, some, some sort of baseline. So it's more cardio and, muscle at least that's what i think my my two cents
0: i think it's possible yeah you're right you probably should have a little experience but also like if i if i lived in colorado and that was my first opportunity like i think you should grab the bull by the horns right and like just get out there like if you feel if you have a range where you can shoot a little bit and you feel confident even if it's only 20 to 30 yards just know that and stay true to that and and go hike in the woods with your bow and, you know, get the tag and, and go, go walk around, you know, take, take the opportunity and you never know something might happen, you know, At
1: the very least you're learning. something. you're learning
0: right? for yeah. sure. So don't wait until you need, you know, five years of certain experience under your belt or more or a lifetime to go experience something like just kind of do all the research you can and all the time and, and prepare and, and practice and whatnot. But like don't let experience be the thing that's going to hold you back. I think
1: could have your first time sometime yeah, for
0: sure. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yep. Um, and then the last thing I'd probably mention is just make sure that you have first aid, you know, things, things can always happen. And if you're a long ways from any sort of, um, medical help, you should make sure you've got you know things like a tourniquet and bandages and um, different types of insect cream and all these different things that if you don't have it and you wish you needed it, yep. you're gonna really you know be bumming that um, you didn't think about about it beforehand. So I think in the case of first aid bring more than you think that you need right you know i'm thinking about when we went to the boundary waters in minnesota kind of a similar thing you're so far from civilization and um i don't think we were adequately prepared first aid wise luckily we didn't need it but i think you're um you gotta always plan for the worst and instead of always hoping for the best
0: yep right so a couple of things on that that we are bringing for this trip. Um, two of us got a product by Garmin, the Garmin InReach. And that is a device that allows two-way communication um, with no saddle, uh, no cell service. It's satellite-powered. Um, so if you have a clear view to the sky, you pretty much always have uh, access to communicate with somebody. And they have an SOS function that when you press that button, it coordinates with local law enforcement and sends out um, ambulance services, helicopter, sort of whatever you need. And um, the InReach is what I got. And the beauty of that device is it allows you to text message, actually, with the rescue operations. So you can say, you know, let's say, one of us, uh, you know, broken ankle. Not life-threatening. We don't need a helicopter evacuation necessarily, but we do need help. That's a great function. As opposed to there are others where they you don't have any communication, they have no idea what's the problem, um, they'll send the cavalry to, to help you. So, um, you kind of have to evaluate what your needs are, what you feel comfortable with. But like, that's, that's something we brought. And I think, you know, talking about Idaho, uh, there's a chance of grizzly bears. Mm. I don't think it's a very high likelihood. Um, we did some research and tried to, you know, talk to people and but I think it's possible. So we're all bringing uh, bear spray and um, yeah. So those are kind of a couple major safety precaution items that we're bringing in addition to the first aid kits um, that we all have kind of packed out. Mm -hmm.
1: So earlier you mentioned that you're not allowed to have electronics. So you were just speaking specifically about things on your bow that are electronic, but you can still have like a GPS, a range finder. Those kind of items, cell phones. Yep. If they work. Yep. So
0: bow attached to the bow and attached to the arrow, or bolt, is how okay. the regulations read. Okay.
2: It's still like most states where you can't communicate to right to hunt. Like, hey, there's an elk over here, come and get it. But you can use communication to each other to stay in touch and figure out what where each other is at. So
1: are you planning on splitting up
2: yeah. groups of two, yeah. four, something? The, when we were out there last time, we were, we had three people. And for us and how we kind of felt, that was a max for a group. Uh, you don't want too many people trying to go in to try to get an out. Scent and, and noise and otherwise. Noise, movement, yeah. for sure. So the idea is to split up into twos. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll see how it goes.
2: Anything else
1: you want to add? Hmm. Any uh, nervousnesses
2: I think, or apprehensions? Uh, or uh, it's nervousness that we won't be successful, but uh, I mean, it'll still be a great yeah. time. I think I'll leave with uh, kind of just a, a note to anyone that's even curious about it. If, if you can just convince another person to go with you, it's not that difficult to do, and don't set your expectations too high where you're gonna go get one because mm-hmm. I think the state puts out uh, statistics every year and I think it's twenty ten percent ten percent that you're have a chance of getting one
0: yep for unguided yep public land and that hunting. that
1: factors in very experienced hunters too yep,
0: yeah one out of ten,
2: but so, I mean it. Yeah. If you're even curious about it, just take the leap, cause it's it's not so bad. It's 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 pretty simple to do as as long as you have some sort of game plan, and it's totally worth it. Even I mean, worst our buddy Justin's classic line is worst case scenarios. We took a r- hike around the mountains for a week. Yep. What's so bad about that? Yep. So it it's definitely worth it, and you should definitely try it. I agree.
1: Uh, thanks, Ben, for being here and providing us with a little bit of insight, and um, and Jake as well, for how to get yourself ready to go for a, a completely different trip than you're used to. Um, definitely an adventure, something that I hope to, to experience at some point.
0: Yeah. We'll definitely keep you guys in the loop uh, over the next, well, it'll be two weeks. We leave in a week, mm-hmm. so... Uh, stay tuned for some pictures and updates and whatnot and we'll try to keep you in the like i said in the loop whether we're successful or not we'll definitely be learning some things and we'll try to pass some of that stuff on to to you guys out there
1: so in the meantime uh take some time to enjoy the outdoors um make sure that you are introducing somebody to their first time outdoors we'll see you next week